Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 200. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today, very special guest. Actually, it's not that special. It's my semi-permanent co-host, but always special to have you on, Jay. Jay Pestercelli, CEO and founder, co-founder of Zega Financial. How you doing, Jay? You know, I'm doing great, Derek, and it's not nearly as special as you actually hitting the 200 mark. Congratulations on uh, the success of the podcast, really. So that's something uh, I don't know if everybody has 200 episodes to do. Like, I got to just tell you, man, really proud of you. I know everybody at Zega is really happy for you uh, and your success with the podcast. So keep up the great work. Yeah, no, thank you. It's been, I guess... Was it 2017 I, I launched? I, I don't really remember. I should have known that coming into this. It's pretty much been every week uh, besides, I think I ran uh, repeat maybe twice, but yeah, pretty much every week. And then you've been on, I don't know how many appearances this is for you. You obviously have the most appearances as the semi-permanent co-host, of course. But yeah, and, and the little interesting statistics, most podcast never make it past, I think, episode three. Um, there were there was some, I don't know if I ever told you some of the, the stats, but most don't make it past three. And then those that do, uh, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, where is this? I should have had this. Um, oh, I can't find it. I had some interesting. Right. Look, I mean, very few make it to 200. Oh, no, here, right? here it is. Jay. I found it. Okay. 90% of podcasts launched don't make it past episode three. Of the 10% that make it past episode three, 90% don't make it past episode 20. So simply by producing 21 podcasts, you're in the top percentile of all podcasts ever. That's from Chris Willicks. Uh, so I'll take his word. For it. You're, you're in the, the 1%, Derek. You made it. That's right. That's right. Well, let's get into the markets. This, today, we're going to talk some predictions. And I'll, I'll probably pull up some of last year's predictions, too. And we can laugh about those. Uh, and we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how we do this year. Maybe, maybe you don't make two hundred two, right? People are like these guys don't. They're terrible at their job. You never know what, what, what we're going to see there. Well, you know, look. This is why we buy and we hedge, right? That's that's the uh, that's the whole game here that we're we're doing. But I want to open with a little bit. Of, it's not really news, but it's something we saw today. Uh, some, I think it was Liz, uh, who is this? But uh, basically it's percentage of trading days with VIX above 20%. And so far in 2022, Jay, 91% of these the days have had a VIX above 20. And you got to go back to 2009 when it was 98% of the time. And, you know, prior to that, 99 and... Oh, one, we're 95 and 96% of the time. So, Jay, I don't think this is surprising, is it? But it's noteworthy. I'm going to, I'd be honest with you. If somebody asked me how many days, you know, the market traded below, the VIX traded below 20 this year, I, I would have said even less than this. I would, I would not have said 9% of the days were below 20. Like it's just the whole year to me has felt like it's been above 20. Um, so I'm not really, really surprised at this number at all. I actually thought it would be a little higher. And it's, you know, look, we watched that. We watched the volatility index uh, closely for a lot of reasons. One, we use it uh, uh, to help us understand what, you know, one day moves, one week, one uh, month moves are going to be in the market. We use it 
to determine what premium looks like with options. Are options cheap or expensive? We use it a little bit for you know some of the trades that we place where we're selling. Uh, you know, we're kind of selling volatility as a hedge against the market. We use it for things like even the trigger work that you and I are doing, where we use volatility as a kind of core belief on triggering market direction. So we watch it really closely. I I don't know, like how many days have we had so far? So probably what, 230, 240, right? We only got like a few days left in the year. So, you know, I wouldn't have said that 20 days where we traded below 20. I'd love to check this data, actually. That's how that's how surprised I am that it's only 91. It has felt like only three days it's been below to me. But what do I know? I guess I could look. Yeah. I mean, this is, I'll tell you the source. And, you know, they're kind of a shady operation. S&P Dow Jones indices. I don't even know who that is. No, I'm kidding. Oh, guys. So, <laughs> really? Any, yeah. any history behind them at all? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they only managed the most important indexes. Although they do have a disclaimer, chart is provided for illustrative purposes only. And uh, But what is surprising, and one of our fellow uh, investment committee members at Zega, Mick, pointed out that, you know, 2021, only 36% of the time was at above 20. In 2020, it was 86% of the time. And Mick rightly pointed out, I, I think that was a surprise to me too, because I think 21 was, I mean, somewhat volatile as well, right? But was it? I mean, I guess not. I mean, the market's went up. No, that's true because we were at all time highs. We were at all time highs. Yeah, it ripped. I, I, you know, when I look at the data here, right? So let's, 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 by the way, yes, fine. These guys are right. All, most of the days happened in January. So, you know, we hadn't really had the real scare yet. So, all right, I'll give, I'll trust SP. Um, <laughs> the thing that I thought was most interesting when you look back, you know, over the last 30 years of this data, where 2009, not 2008, 2009, 98% of the days were above, or the VIX was above 20. And, you know, 2009 was the rebound year, right? But it just goes to show you that, you know, the, the market can hold on to volatility for quite some time. And so if we end the year here at 91, 92, 93, you know, we're not going to change that number very much at this point. Um, there's a really good chance it follows through to next year, right? Volatility comes in waves. We talk about this all the time. And we had this period of low vol between 2013 and the pandemic in 2020 when that started. Um, and now we've started this new regime of higher volatility. And I think we should probably expect it to stick around for next year and the year after that. It's just the way that the cycle goes. I think you're right. And, and people can't see this chart, but for the listeners, uh, 97, really until 2003, volatility remained high. Uh, 2007, it's, it was higher than the prior three years, but 2008, as you mentioned, 09 was actually the peak of volatility. And, you know, it continued 2010, 2011. It really didn't get back down until 2012. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And volatility begets more volatility. I, I don't even think that's proper English, but in our experience, you know, when volatility is around, it's going to be around. And unlike 2017, when 0% of the days were above 20% in, in the VIX index. But uh, yeah, I mean, and this is good for volatility sellers, of course, as long as realized is not higher than implied volatility. But 
which I believe has been the, the case for a lot of this year, by the way. I actually think the options market has been under-projecting. Agreed. Volatility. Yeah. I mean, even though we got 91% of the days, it's it's a just it's mis it's mispredicted or poorly predicted what actually ended up occurring, right? Like you called it realized volatility. That's what actually occurred versus the implied, which is what is projected. And you know, I think this is your analogy right there that I'm about to steal. Like, you know, the implied volatility is let's say you're, you know, you're going on a trip and you have your Google Maps telling you how long it's gonna take you to get there. And if it tells you it's gonna take you an hour and a half, but then that's what's implied on your drive time. But if you get there in two hours, you're going to be pretty disappointed because it was a lot worse than what was predicted. And so I think we're getting a lot of that this year, especially the one day moves. We've had some pretty dramatic one day moves that, you know, just significantly exceeded what was projected uh, with, with uh, you know, using the VIX math. So yeah, interesting year from a volatility perspective. And I would even say, does, doesn't it feel a little like held down right now. I think today as we're recording this, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a few days before it comes out. I think the VIX closed to 20. And so like just over 20, like we're not that far off the lows, right? The market's moving quite a bit, yet volatility is still staying low. So again, there's a lot of pressure on premium, right? Less speculators, all those kinds of things, keeping the VIX down. Uh, Yet the movement can, you know, come at the drop of a hat and this market can snap one way or another pretty quickly. I think that's also reflected in in the skew. SKEW is the ticker, you know, on, on TD Ameritrade's thicker swim platform, if anybody's using that. Skew is, let me see, it's about 114.25. And uh, it peaked at 156, which is a, a massive, massive. I mean, that was the very end of actually it was 12:30 of 21. So almost a year ago. And what this is telling me is that the further out options don't have a lot of implied volatility or juiced up premiums in them right now. Yep. It almost tells me, Jay, that people aren't that fearful, even though the market is still not, you know, anywhere near the old highs, certainly. Either that or they're just fatigued, right? There's, this could just be market fatigue. Like who's waking up going, oh, I'm going to do a little trading this morning. Because most people got their face kicked in, teeth kicked in this year, right? The bears lost, the bulls lost because of all those really strong bear market rallies. Uh, yeah, it's just, I think there's a lot of market fatigue. Like, I I don't know the numbers here, but I would guess from our history at, you know, at uh, TD Ameritrade, I would guess that, you know, the daily volume, daily revenue trades is down across the board in a meaningful way for all the self-directed brokerages. Yeah, all right, well... Let's move on to how bad our predictions were last year and how good they're going to be this year. I, I say <laughs> okay. that sarcastically. So, Jay, just for for reference, I did pull up the 2022 predictions. And let's see where you and I um, had the market. So, Jay, you had the market ending the year at 5,000. Um, and I had the year uh, market at 5,020. So... Yeah. So we're only off by like 1,200 points. I mean, that's not that much, is it? <laughs> when we close out today, almost 3,900. So market closed, mar- the S&P 500's at 3,900, and we were well over 1,000 points higher. I'd say, I'd say we were on the wrong side of that one. Uh, you had, and by the way, I mean, we, we joked around about this last year. I mean, for anyone listening, 
we put, I mean, we sort of have our predictions. We're students in the market, but the whole idea is you buy the market and you hedge. So if you get bad years, you eliminate some of those, potentially eliminate some of those you know, really bad drawdowns because you've got a floor in portfolios. And then we have stuff with buffers in it where people don't realize the, you know, the intention is to not realize the first X percent, you know, and some of these first 25% down. And then we sell volatility for, to, to bring in premium, uh, you know, or, or return. That's our goal, right? Each and every month. So, you know, while we are students of the market and I'm going to, we're going to give you our opinions today. Uh, we by no means traded off these. We didn't say, oh yeah, we're going to really leverage up. Um, where you really nailed it, um, I did not. I had a high of VIX of 40 and you had it 35. Now somebody else on on our committee actually is in the lead uh, with about a 35 and a half. They, but you nailed that, I think. Uh, yeah, what was what was the high this year? There, I did the high close, right? Because that's kind of the the hard number to get, right? Because the I think it was thirty six point four five was the high close. Yeah, yeah, early on in in uh, in March. So, yeah, so I can't win at this point, but I was close, and you were close at forty, though, right? The the actual high high intraday was almost thirty nine. So. You know, there we go. Yeah, even though I organized this, I, I think I actually was thinking, oh, what's the actual high for the year much as opposed to the close? So I'll I'll say I, I nailed the high for the year for sure. There you go. But, Fair enough. It's your 200 podcast. You get a lot of leeway today. <laughs> uh, I had inflation year-over-year change to be 5.1%. Of course, we don't have the December numbers yet. You had it at 4%. Both of us were low there. And then I'm just looking, I'll go through just a few of the 22 because we want to talk through the, the 23 stuff. You had a year high yield in the 10 year of three and a half. And you had it ending the year at two and a half. I had it ending the year at 1.47. I'm almost embarrassed to, to even say that on there. Uh, the 10 year yield as we're recording is about 3.68. So I mean, look, it's, uh, and we don't have the full year EPS yet. So, you know, we'll kind of hold off on that. But let's go to 23 because I want to go to the rationale. And I'm going to focus on, you know, our two sort of predictions. And, and by the way, you know, if you look at predictions across Wall Street, I would say Morgan Stanley, you look at their numbers and you say, oh, it's, we're going to have a bad recession next year. Like they're, they only have, I think of 198 on earnings per share. Then you have, you know, Tom Lee. Is it Tom Lee? He it says 4700. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's been he's been really bullish for a long time. And he's been bullish when other people haven't. So all right. So if we look at 2023, Jay, you and I are a little bit on opposite sides of the spectrum here. Um, not too far, but Want to give us your rationale for what you think the S and P is going to do next year? And yeah, go into your. I mean, we've got a high, a low, and a close, right? Yeah, I actually think it's going to be a fairly muted year next year, right? I think everyone's still digesting. You're still going to be battling against the Fed that's raising rates. Um, I still think we have growth in corporate earnings and GDP, but I have us coming in at forty three fifty ending next year. So. We just said we're at 3,900 right now, right? If this is where we ended the year, I'm whipping out my uh, handy calculator here, right? So 4,350, 
divided by 3,900 is about 11% up from here. So, I mean, I think that's a little more than average, right? But uh, but my high, I've got us at 4,500 and the low is right where we are here at 3,900. So I think I'm in the camp that we end up being a little flat and have a fairly muted year. And that could be wishful thinking for a lot of reasons, but uh, that's that's where I am. And we can talk about earnings in a minute, but where 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 do you have us coming in, Derek, on the S and P? Yeah, and I figured I was so wrong last year. I'll come in low, and then it's going to be like a ripping year. It's going to be like six thousand end of the year. So, I actually had us closing right around four thousand with a high of forty one hundred, and that's the old that really that that resistance line that we just can't seem to get above lately. And I had a, a low, you know, somewhere around thirty two hundred, thirty three hundred. Now, when I did this, I think the market was 3,800 or so. So, I mean, I was implying roughly four and a half, five percent upside next year. But I'll tell you what, it's like as I'm putting those things down on paper, I still think there's a really good chance that the market, um, I did a podcast last week, Jay, you weren't on that one. What? Uh, Sorry, it was episode 199. And I asked the question, it was in the title, is 2023 going to be 1994, 1995 all over again? So I think there's a very good, even though I'm telling you, I, I think more, you know, flattish year, I think is a good, a good stake to put in the ground. Um, but I do think when the Fed stops raising rates, and we're going to get to that, there's a chance 94, 95 repeats itself where the market really started to take off. Yeah, tell people why that's a that's an important year, right? Like, well, not everybody knows what those years mean. Yeah, so '94, the Fed was raising rates, and they actually surprised the markets by doing it. Like, essentially, uh, in last week's episode, I I was reading an old newspaper article where Greenspan actually sort of just said, "We're raising rates because we want to make sure everyone knows we're in charge." I'm paraphrasing, and there really wasn't a reason to raise, but they they raised the rates, and they kept raising. And they kept raising, I think the last one was uh, March of 95. But we really didn't have inflation. What's really interesting about that time is there was earnings growth of 30% in 1994. This year will probably be, what, around 5%. But they stopped raising in 95. They did a, a quarter point lower, I think, by September. And the market took off. I mean, 95 to 99, Jay, as you remember, that was a, a really strong period. So I think I, I, as I'm saying this, I'm like, why did I put these numbers down? I just, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like we're, we're in a basing phase for a little bit. Um, but I hope I'm wrong, Jay. Well, listen, I mean, you're, you're looking at more of a U-shaped recovery, right? Than the V shapes that we've had in the past sell-offs, right? Whether it was 18 or 2020, you know, those are V-shaped bounces. And this you know, you're just predicting a U. I think if we put 2024 in there, uh, I bet you'd then you'd be back to the, you know, you probably got a plus 15, plus 20% year in you for that. I think that's coming. I don't know if it's next year, but I, I think we're going to have another one of those because there's a little catch up. And, and you and I have always talked about how earnings are important. Um, I have earnings uh, 215 earnings per share. You have it at 240. And I'm just looking, and let me see what the year-end projection is in earnings. Uh, let me pull this up just to kind of anchor what the earnings growth rate might be. It looks like 2022 
people think they're going to end around 220. So I have a small decline. You have, uh, you know, 20 more dollars per share and 20 is, you know, roughly eight and a half percent or so. If, if we end the year at 220, right? Right. Um, and right. I'm, That's I'm down I slightly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you go first. You tell me why you think. Uh, look, I mean, the, the market uh, corporations and companies have done, not the market companies have done a good job of fending off, uh, you know, a hawkish Fed this year. I think we've seen that in the workforce, the work numbers, the unemployment numbers, I mean. Um, I think that we continue to have, you know, that growth going forward. I, I you know, to me, um, you know, being on that kind of a trajectory, you get to take advantage a little bit of higher inflation. And even though we'll probably get to the inflation number in a minute, you know, even though I believe that that'll, start, that'll you know, be notably lower in the second half, you're still going to, you know, get to take advantage of the higher uh, prices, higher revenue. And at the same time, you know, it's, it's going to be very easy for companies to talk about, all right, let's reduce our workforce. So I don't think their top line revenue is going to go down. I think they're going to manage their margins really, really well because they have the excuse of, hey, everybody, we're going to have a recession. So we're just kind of tightening up. Sorry. Right. Like it's it's I just think it's a little bit of, uh, you know, companies are going to be smart about managing both sides of the ledger. So your number implies margins are going to hold up. And I think at two, let me just, um, I'm doing three things at once here. I think margins next year, the consensus, uh, if I've got this right, yeah, I found it right here, Jay. The consensus is 12.3% net profit margin, which is uh, expected, you know, around the same as this. That's high, but you know we've had thirteen point three net margins, twenty one, ten point three, and twenty nineteen, eleven point five. So, you know it's not out of range, but I, I think for you margins have to stay high, right? I mean that that's the yeah. No, I think margins definitely are a driver of that number, even more than increased you know economic activity. Yep. So my number, which I have. Um, a little bit, you know, it's basically five dollars less. And if I do my math right, basically I'm de- I'm saying a negative two point three ish. And here's how I came out with this: I follow the Refinitiv uh, earnings dashboard. Uh, it's Libra Refinitiv. They get their data from Ives. I hopefully I'm crediting everyone who's on here. Uh, but this guy, I, I sign up for the to get the email uh, to John. To Jinder Dillon, I'm probably mispronouncing his first name, but he puts this thing out. And his numbers, he said, basically Q3 of, well, the one that just ended, expected to be about 4.4%, but X energy, negative 3.4%. And we've seen some of these numbers, Jay, where X energy. And so that's really where I came up with that. And I just think it's going to be a little flat. I think margins are going to come in because of the wage pressure, uh, workers or wages going up, and that's definitely going to eat into margins. So that's the way I saw that there. I, I think, I mean, I full well could totally be wrong on this. And we could see margins increase. You could be seeing companies, you know, reduce spending. Maybe you're seeing some tech companies reduce headcount, and that certainly would help with uh, with margins. Never, never want people to be out of a job, but 
um, it, you know, the numbers are the numbers, right? So, yeah, I mean. Listen, we're on the opposite side on that one. I'm definitely optimistic on earnings, and I think the market ends up, you know, taking advantage of that later down the road. Um, but well, let's let's talk about one of the ones we're also pretty much on opposite sides on, which is GDP, because I think that also helps explain why our EPS number is so different, right? So I came in at a five percent. Like I'm really high on this number, right? And again, I think that uh, you know I think that as the Fed pivots away and they've been holding down economic activity now as they release that in the second half of the year, I think uh, I think the economy can get off to the races. That is high. And it is hot. It is very hot. Like, I almost want to be like, JD, sure you want to stick with that number. But, you know, look, I mean, in normal <laughs> years, pre, pre-pandemic, by the way, I should know, we said the, uh, the COVID word and we did not get the blue message, you know, to get more information on that. Uh, Good. We're avoiding it today very, very successfully. Yeah. So, but in normal years, I mean, you know, let's say Trump, Obama, Clinton, Bush. I mean, we've been somewhere around 2%. I came in at 1.8 on this. And I, I think we will have some negative quarters of GDP and some slower growth. It, and just because it's slower growth doesn't mean the market can't do completely fine on that. But yeah, I, I just have a lower number. And I think I think we will have a negative print uh, at least one, if not two quarters. I just don't think it's going to be that that deep. Um, so that's where I came in with that. And of course, these are real numbers, not nominal. And so as inflation does stay a little bit elevated, I think, um, although I think it's coming down, that's where I came in with that. But, you know, it's, why don't we just uh, I'll get this out of the way? Both of us said, yes, a recession. And that's part of why I said, we're going to have at least one negative quarter. And I know the whole, everyone's like, oh, wait a second. Is it two negative quarters of GDP growth? No, no, no. It's the conference board, the, 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 the committee meets, and they say, yes, we had a recession from this time to this time. It's not necessarily two negative quarters of GDP. In fact, we've had recessions with one quarter of negative GDP. Um, but both of us say yes. And I don't know. I mean, I look at the PMI data, Jay, the manufacturing data. And that to me is is recessionary, but that's that's one of the main things I think I'm looking at. I think housing, a lot of people are, you know, in that area, and things are kind of locked up in the housing market right now. But, um, I mean, look, and everyone is wishing the recession to come sooner. Everyone says it's going to be a recession, so let's just have it. Let's get it over with. Great, let's be done with it. Jay, what do you say about this? Yeah, I think that's the other thing. Even though I've got a lot of economic growth next year, right? You say, Jay, how could you say yes, that there's going to be a recession? And the, the answer is, I feel like we just kind of have to get it over with, right? That was my feeling that the board is going to have to say, look, we feel like there was a significant slow enough, uh, a reduction of activity early on in the year, which probably, you know, was a drift over from the end of 2022. So yeah, we're going to have it. But it's, I feel like it's just going to be, a, it's not going to be a really heartfelt, you know, like real, like no one's going to really feel like we had a recession, right? It's going to be shallow. And I feel like the, the, you know, the way that they make that determination will kind of bend the rules a little bit just to make it happen because of all the effort that's going on uh, with the Fed. But that's, that's it. It's almost like a, to me, it's a nod to all the work that the Fed has done. 
to, you know, be able to say, all right, you really did cause a recession. The other th- reason is when we, and we talked about this on the last podcast I was on with you, we talk about spreads being inverted in the bond market, um, the three month minus the 10 year at, you know, dramatic levels of, of inversion, you know, that just has always preceded a recession. So it kind of pushed me to say yes there, although I don't think it'll really feel that way. I'm looking at, uh, to me, and, and this is my prediction, if we do have a recession, I, I think we will have one. 1990, we had a uh, recession. Actually, you know, Q3 of 1990 until Q2 of 91. And to give you an idea of what GDP did, Q4 of 1990 was minus 0.17262, right? So just a little bit under 1%. And the quarter before that, was positive 0.92%. And the quarter after that was positive 0.50%. So we only had one quarter of, of negative GDP. In by the way, in 2001, we only had one negative quarter of GDP. So again, and we had a recession. The the official recession is not negative two quarters of GDP. It's it's a back of the napkin one. But I think this could be like a 1990-ish recession. Not really too bad. Not every recession has to be like 2020 or 2008, 2009. And we haven't had just a a run-of-the-mill recession in a while. So I think that's where sort of we're both at, Jay, right? Right. You got it. All right. So Fed funds. Actually, you know what? Let me ask you about the dollar first. Um, So I have the dollar index, which is really heavily against uh, Eurocentric. And I've got it at 88, which is roughly a 20% decline from where it is right now. You're at 95. So I'm looking at mine. I almost wish I could redo mine. Because if I'm saying there's going to be a recession, usually the dollar is a safe haven. But right. I think like, both of us have the dollar coming down. So um, what are we thinking here, Jay? Uh, yeah, no, this is just, uh, to me, it's a... Uh, the U.S. kind of leading the globe here, uh, rates kind of dropping, uh, all the things that pushed it higher are just kind of slowing down next year. So that's really it. I know this isn't a data point that a lot of people know off the top of their head what a 95 versus an 88 look like. You know, I'll be honest with you. I looked at the chart and said it's going to pull back enough, and this looks like a decent support level. It wasn't based on any you know deep economic impact and the calculation of what the yen and the euro are doing against the, uh, the, the greenback, but that's really where I came up with this one. It's, it's, you know, not everybody puts the importance on it. I think for the, for you and I, it's the, one of the things that could help push the S and P higher is this lower dollar. And I think we're both a little higher, you know, for next year. So there you go. And actually, Derek, I would say you being the lowest on the S and P, and also the lowest on the dollar index doesn't jive actually to me a little bit. So you want to maybe maybe explain that one? Yeah, the reason why my EPS is two fifteen and my end of year is is still positive is for the very reason of the dollar. And I think if not for the boost in revenues and earnings from multinational companies, I think my numbers would be lower. So the fact that we have a weak dollar actually brought my estimates up, Jay. Uh, but it's a good point to make is I think things would be worse. I think the, the dollar coming down is definitely beneficial. And why I'm I'm still, even though I have a negative EPS, I'm still positive on the markets for next year, for sure. All right. 
inflation, Jay, uh, you go first here. You and I are a little bit different on this one too. Yeah, I'm at a five, finishing out the year next year at a five, right? Um, this is definitely on the high end of things. I'm not saying that I think we see it going up, but I just think it's really starting to get its hold. And it has to do with the math, right? I think if you, you know, a lot of the you know living expenses are overrepresented in the inflation data, or at least in the way the math is calculated there. And I don't think they're actually right. I think if that number was correct, I would take this down a notch, probably closer to where you are. But I think like the expenses, uh, the uh, what, 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 what do they put the categorization there on, you know, rents and mortgage? Owner's equivalent rent and rent. That's uh, rent of primary residence and owner's equivalent rent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, with mortgage rates being higher, I think those things are just going to be, you know, inflated more than what the reality is there. So, you know, it, that's really the main driver for me, right? At 5%, I think a lot of the things that were pushing inflation higher initially this year and last year, I think a lot of those are going to come down, right? But I think the rents stay high and I think the wage uh, increase, while slower, will will be sticky. Yeah, here's where you're, why you're very well could be right here. And I think there's a good chance you might be. It's the lagging effect of the rents. And so we've said this before, but just for the audience to understand, when they survey people, they either survey people who are renting, like renting an apartment, or they survey homeowners and they essentially, I'm oversimplifying this, but they call you up and they say, hey, if you were going to rent out your house, how much would you charge? And people, a lot of times are like, well, you know, I want to at least make my mortgage or they might know somebody down the street. It's, it's not a perfect way of doing this. But what they found was in the 70s, when they had actual pricing changes, like the, the value of house as they went up, well, if you're in your house already, you don't have to rebuy your house every year. So what they do is they have people to come into the survey. And slowly but surely, more new renters come into that survey. And that's why, while rents are coming down right now, the rent component of CPI continues to be elevated and higher because all of those people had to pay higher rents. They're now entering the survey. And you very well could be right here because it's going to take some time for the opposite to happen, meaning we'll have all these people in there who paid higher rents. And then as people are paying lower rents, they won't come into the survey until a lagging later and later and later. So yeah, Jay, I think this is very well could be. And also, look, I mean, uh, we haven't talked about oil yet. I think uh, you're 75, end of year. I think I am 80. But if there's any material uptick in, in the price of oil and energy, that shoots the CPI right back up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's crazy to be at 5%. Why not, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not the popular thought there, but, you know, neither is the rest of my answers. So, well, why don't we go through where you are, right? You were very mathematical and deliberate in your number. I came up with, I said, the arithmetic average, which basically is just the simple average, every month is going to be zero, zero, uh, you know, 0.25% average increase per month. And what I did was I just took, I compounded that. So uh, it's basically one plus the rate to the exponent of 12. And, you know, that's how I compounded it. And I got like 3.04, I rounded it to 3.05. That's exactly how I did it. Um, 
And I think we'll have some lower months and I think we'll have some higher months. I think there's going to be some months where you have CPI surprise to the upside because of energy. Uh, I don't think it's done going down yet. But yeah, that's how I did it, Jay. It's just a, a, a simple, you know, compounding effect, right? So there you go, right? Because your number is three point zero five, right? Not, I'm a five, and other guys a three, three and a quarter. You you're out to two decimals, and I think you rounded to get to the two decimals. So real, I guess that's that right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so far we don't have all all the investment committee members' uh, predictions in yet, but I mean, our average is about three point five eight percent. Which, guess what, is still above the 2% Jay Powell target. So does that mean, Jay, that we're going to go higher on Fed funds than people think? Um, let's talk about that. So go through your your prediction here. Yeah, so uh, I have the Fed funds rate hitting a high of 5 to 5 and a quarter. And I have the end of the year having us at a 4 to 4 and a quarter. So... I think uh, this this one is really straight up with what the market, the futures are telling us is going to happen. Um, you know, the, the the connecting the dots there that inflation may hold on and the Fed may stay higher for longer. Um, but you know, the whole recession piece means they may have to cut, right? So look, there's a lot of opposing dynamics here, right? And, and it's usually once the story is told at the end of the year, it all makes sense of why things happened, but. Um, I, I'm not the highest on the Fed funds rate, but I'm, I'm higher than you at that with the five to five and a quarter, but ending the year at the four, four and a quarter, which is on the low end of everybody. Yeah. I, we're four, two, five to 5.5 right now. And the way I came in, there's no meeting in January. They'll meet in February. And I think they might have one more 50 basis point hike, or maybe they want to string it out a little bit. And they say, you know, we're going to do 25, but we're, we plan to still raise. So I, I have it going to 475 to five, which would be 50 basis points from here. And then I have a cut in a repeat of 9495, September, October-ish, where they've got to come back down. Uh, that Essentially, the next cut is going to get taken back. So we're going to end the year exactly where we are right now, but we're going to first go up 50 basis points. And I think both of us, if there's going to be a recession, I mean, you sort of have to think they're going to stop at some point. Where I'm wrong. It's not what they're saying, but they can't say anything different at this point because then they actually undo all the work that they've done, right? We saw that happen last month. So, you know, we'll see. Like, Fed funds is where they define it, right? That's not necessarily where the market is going to take it. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I'm a little wider than you, but same logic. I mean, in some ways... Don't you think the Fed almost wishes that they didn't have to meet as frequently as they did? Like, I almost think they're they're happy about not having to meet in January, and they just rather talk down the markets. I mean, don't you think that's that's kind of one of the things? No, I think if they wanted to be quiet, they could stop doing random you know press conferences and meetings throughout the year outside of their you know what do they have eight or nine meetings a year. I think if they thought there were too many, they would stop doing all the one off uh, you know news channel discussions and all those things. So no, I think that they feel, uh, you know, their dialogue is a tool that they use. They've said, you know, expressing their intent is a deliberate uh, tool that they use to move uh, the financial markets. And I think they would do it even more often if they could actually. So 
I'm on the other side of that. And by the way, you can't tell. I'm annoyed that they do it so often, right? Because I think it just causes all these shifts and pivots all over the place. Well, I, I think that uh, maybe maybe I was misunderstood what I was saying. I think they would rather keep talking. Like, I think they like this. Oh, okay. I thought you, you were saying that you didn't like doing all the okay. But just talk more. Yeah. Talk they just want to talk. <laughs> I mean, look... <laughs> We, you and I have joked about this and I, and I talked about it last week, you know, there was no press conference in 94 when Greenspan all of a sudden raised the rate by a quarter point out of nowhere. I, I think it might've even been between meetings. Uh, I was working in the markets. It was, it was between meetings. We certainly did that in, was it 99 or 2000? We did that 99, I think. Yeah. Because we used to have the, they called them the, you know, like the CNBC show Squawk Box. We used to have this box on our desk in 1994. Remind me to tell you about the building I was in too around Christmas time. But all of a sudden this voice would appear on the Squawk Box and it was like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Fed did a surprise rate hike and everyone's like, really? So here's the, the other thing too. January, February, uh, January 31st to the 1st. So the February 1st is the next meeting they can do anything on. They have a meeting March 21st, 22nd, so 22nd. They don't meet in April, then it's May. That's why I think, so in my scenario, they do 25 and 25 or 150 and nothing. In your scenario, they do 50 and then 25, I think is. Yep. Uh, and then I think they out. hold it to most of the year until they're forced to at the, the latter end. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. How do you think this plays into the 10-year? Because the 10-year is interesting. It's inverted or, you know, right now. I mean, I, I could make a case that 10-year needs to go really much higher. Um, I'll make a case in a second that I think it goes lower. But where are you on this? No, I mean, the, the, it's clear that the bond market isn't believing what the Fed is selling. They ain't buying it, right? I mean, uh, I think I have us at the end of the year, three and a half there, which is kind of where we are today. Um, I do think it goes up a little bit. I think it has to, but there is a real uh, resistance to following what the Fed uh, has communicated, right? So, which is why I still think they have to talk the talk and they can't back off from that. Um, and if you notice the reaction of the last meeting, Derek, right, the it had the opposite effect of what I think Powell wanted, right? It, rates went down after it was done because I think he was so hawkish. The market said, Look, at, at this point, like you're going to actually cause damage. So we're going to have the risk off trade and buy treasuries instead of letting you do the plan of you trying to have a soft landing or even your plan to just you know beat inflation. It seems like you really want to put a nail in the coffin in this economy and they weren't buying it. So, look, I, I think that the treasury market is going to you know defer to the longer term run rate there and uh, kind of ignore what the Fed's going to do. I'm with you. I'm even lower. I have a year end of 2.95. I, quite honestly, I don't, I could have put two and a half there. It's, uh, I, I think interest rates, there, there's a really strong backing for lower for longer. And I keep coming back to this, but our debt in the US, everywhere, every country does this. But if our average interest rate were to stay high, meaning how much interest we have to pay on the debt. I mean, you're talking about interest payments that would exceed the defense budget at some point. So I think long-term, the 
people in Congress, the president, and any politicians, they want it lower. So yeah, I was 295. I think it gets, what did I have? 3.8? What are we at right now? We are at uh, 3.68. So I have it going a little bit higher. I think you have it getting to, to 4.15. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's lower. I think interest rates, the trend has been lower for a long time. And I think the idea that rates are going to keep going up and up when we have all this demand for, you know, by sovereign wealth and from different countries. So, um, yeah. Okay. Real quick, Jay, on gold, I think I have gold going about 2000. I think it gets a little bit of a bid, which surprising in an in inflationary period, it didn't do that well. It certainly wasn't an inflationary hedge, but uh, I have it up a little bit. I think you have it right around where it is right now, right? Yep, I have it at eighteen hundred. And look, that jives with our you know dollar predictions, right? Lower dollar, higher gold, those kinds of things, right? So you know you were lower on the dollar, which would explain to me it explained why you went higher on gold. Uh, they told me I couldn't put zero for Bitcoin. You know, I'm a Bitcoin a, a crypto skeptic. But I did say it's going down to eight thousand. Uh, Jay, where, where are you on this? I got I got it going up. I got uh, I got it at twenty five thousand. Um, I feel like the bottom, we've been bottomed out long enough. We'll start to see some consolidation in the industry, I think, and that's usually a good thing. So, yeah, I have it higher. The percentage change um, is the number of years that Sam Bankman-Fried gets in federal prison going to be greater or less than the percent change in Bitcoin in 2023? I don't know <laughs> how to figure that out. <laughs> oh, I, I think he gets less than the percentage change of Bitcoin. Oh, okay. All right. Well, he's coming to the U.S. now. That should be, uh, that's going to take years to to untangle. But uh, all right. So I think we went through all our predictions. These will totally be wrong, by the way. Uh, did we hit the VIX? Did we hit the VIX high? Yeah. Now, actually, what do you have for the VIX high this year? I, I'm going with exactly what I went with this year, 35. I think I said 35.01. So that guy doesn't sneak in front of me again. Price is right. Rules there kind of. But yeah, 35, I'm picking on the high. And I don't think you're that far off. You brought yours down, right? You're you're just over 33. Yeah, I think we hit a high. We could have hit a high of 40, but I'm 33.05. I did the, the Price is Right thing as well. There you go. And then I look, there you go. I look at the committee, though. Um, we've got a, a 50 in here, and we've got a 40 as well. And I should say, can we say his name? He, he's the guy who was most right last year, right? Sure. We'll give Jim, yeah. We'll give Jim some props. So Jim uh, would win our, if this was a pool and it's not, uh, Jim would have won 2022. He was the closest to uh, to, to most of the categories. Um, we were still all off quite a bit. Like I had Bitcoin at, I think, 20,000 and I was still off by a lot. But uh, but yeah, he's he's got a, a big number there. So I will mention, yeah, I mean, we have a high of about 4,800 on the S&P. I'm the lowest. And, you know, somebody has the S&P going to 5,200. That would be a massive move. That would be a new high, right? If we had a high. That, that would be, yeah, by quite a bit. By quite a bit. Um, I, I will also say he filled out a survey with who cares for the Bitcoin uh, price. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But he, he thinks yep. the... All right. So I, I think... Uh, Look, I mean, take these with a grain of salt. As we said before, um, we don't trade off these. It's really more the rationale for the markets. We talk about this stuff in our investment committee meetings, but our our strategies are really systematic, rules-based. 
and we buy and hedge because I got to tell you too, if I showed you the, the quote unquote experts, like the leading investment banks last year, their predictions, they would be all off. And this year, most of the investment banks are really, really bearish. I hope they're all off. I hope we have a really good year. Let's get to recommendations, Jay. I did mention that uh, I would remind myself to talk about 1994. That year, I was working in, back then it was the GM building, but it's the building right across from the Plaza Hotel. And it's in the bottom floor is FAO Schwartz, the, uh, the toy store. And so I just remember, you know, leaving the building to go to lunch around Christmas. It was like, you know, I, I felt like, uh, you know, Barkley running through uh, uh, the line, you know, trying to get through people because there would be a line around the block. And I remember, I, don't, I have no idea if this is still there. I mean, this is, I mean, 1994 is almost, is that 30 years ago? Uh, you got there. Right? Yeah. So there used to be on the second story, um, another door to FAO Schwartz. And every once in a while, it'd be nice to people. You know, if it was like a, a, somebody there with their kid, I'd say, yeah, just come with me. I'll, I'll show you a different way in. Because uh, nobody would ever, ever went in that way. But that was my, uh, my FAO Schwartz story. FAO Schwartz, of course, is made famous. It was famous already. But Tom Hanks in the movie Big, right, was, was dancing on the, uh, the, the life-size keyboard, right? Yeah, what I think the actor he's doing it with was Robert Loja, right? And uh, they were doing the whole keyboard dance, playing chopsticks. That guy's been in everything. That guy, Robert Lowe, he's been in everything. Like, just yeah. name a movie yeah. and he's probably been in it, right? <laughs> he's, and one of my uh, favorite roles he had was when he uh, played uh, uh, in The Sopranos. I think it was Fitch is the role that he plays. He was there for a very short time. He had, you know, he just, but uh, yeah, I feel like those were, that was a great role for him. He fit perfectly there. All right, Jay. First, let's get to, do you have a, a recommendation? Well, you know, like, I just, I'm going to take a little, little different take today because we're all probably doing what we're doing here at the Pestricelli household, which is catching up on the, you know, holiday movie favorites, right? Whether it's Elf or it's uh, Christmas Vacation or Home Alone or A Christmas Story. I did watch A Christmas Story Christmas, which is like his new one that Ralphie does a few years later, 30 years later. Um but I bring so yes, we've all got our favorites that we all kind of watch. There's Scrooge. I'm the only one that seems to like that one in, in my family, but uh, uh, I still watch it. Um, I think I want. I'd rather give you a different challenge, Derek, before we have yours. And you know, Bruce Willis recently commented on this, and you know, people have to answer the question: Is Die Hard really a Christmas movie? I don't know. Now he says no, but I'd like to know your opinion on it. So. I went back and I did some research. Die Hard was released July 22nd, 1988. And I remember seeing it in the movie theater. It was probably late summer. And remember at the time, Bruce Willis was not an action actor, right? He was in uh, Moonlighting. He was kind of this yep. goofy, had these goofy roles. And I was like, what? He's in an action movie? I don't know. That was, sorry, just two cents. I out. mean, keep going. Die, Die Hard, uh, uh, by the way, Lethal Weapon was released March 6, 1987, because I'm going to ask if Die Hard's a Christmas movie, and why not? I think it is. Couldn't Lethal Weapon be a Christmas movie, too? Listen, right, the opening uh, scene is uh, playing Jingle Bell Rock, right? Jingle Bell Rock is in uh, Die Hard. I, I mean, sorry, Lethal Weapon. I would say it fits in there, too. Like, I'm a yes on Die Hard. I'm a yes on Lethal Weapon. They make their way in to my movie viewing this season. 
All right. I agree with that. Uh, I think both are are very good. You made fun of my Love Actually recommendation last week. Uh, that uh, That is definitely a Christmas movie. And that was released in December, I think. Wasn't it released in December? I'm going to have to look this up. I'm going to uh, decline all knowledge. Actually, what's, what's interesting about that movie is um, one of the actors, um, she played opposite Hugh Grant. I was in London and we're watching like their morning show. And it's, she was hosting the morning show. And I was like, oh, no way. Because I hadn't really seen her do anything else um, besides that. But that's a little, because I, I haven't been in London since I think 2016. I don't remember. But uh, anyway, yeah. So any other recommendations, Jay? Uh, besides, the, no, like I think we'll come back strong. Uh, you know what? I do have one. Uh, now I'm going to save it for next time, Derek. I think episode 2000 talking about uh, Christmas movies is probably good enough for us. Maybe I'll get you a good one when we hit the new year. All right. I have, uh, I have one recommendation and it's a book. And I actually co-authored a book called Effortless Public Speaking. It's available on Amazon. There's a Kindle version that's $8.99, uh, a paperback that's $13.99. Good, they lowered the price. And uh, I co-wrote this book with uh, a gentleman by the name of Liam Sanford. And it was really, you know, one of the soft skills that I always found that is, is helpful and is not teached in school, or if it is, it's, it's really, you know, these cumbersome textbooks. So it's just, uh, you know, how to really get ahead with public speaking. It's getting over fear of public speaking. It's condensing things into a very small, actionable steps that I think any, anybody can do. And Jay, I, as I'm talking about the book, I have a story in there about Jim Valvano's famous speech. Remember the Never Give Up speech? Yes. But the story, sure. though, is one you were present for. And I don't know if you remember, we were, this is back in the TD Ameritrade days, I think we were in New York for something, and then we were over at Hoboken at an Italian restaurant. The Jimmy V uh, basketball tournament was going on, and they always replay that speech. So we're in there. It's a, it's a really loud restaurant. It's a Friday night, and we probably had like 10, 15 of us there you know, that we were, we were working. And out of the corner of my eye, I remember I saw the, the Valvano speech, but it was interesting because I was watching it. There's no sound, and slowly but surely, like other people started to watch it. And at one point, the waiter turned the sound up. And I don't know if you remember, remember this, but like everyone was just watching the second half of the speech and it got quiet in there. So one of the stories I tell in the book is about the Valvano speech and you were present in that story. So there you go, Jay. I think I remember. I actually think we were in Arthur's at the time. I'm not sure if it was an Italian restaurant. I think it might have been Arthur's in Hoboken, but I believe I could be wrong. I think I had Italian food. Is that is Arthur's? Did they I have mean, Italian food? Steakhouse. I'm sure you can get a, you know Italian food there. Oh no, that probably the, was brewer. Yeah, and they do have the the red and white checkered uh, tablecloths. So maybe that's why you're thinking Italian. Who knows? But yeah, so I remember Eric. Thank you for including that. Yeah, no, that was that was a uh, that was a, a a great example of when a speech. Most people. What was the thing we used to tell everyone who did uh, speaking at Ameritrade? You know, they won't remember what you say but they'll remember how you made them feel. And that speech is the rare instance where people actually remember the speech as well. So that story is in the book. Uh, as, uh, so anyway, effortless public speaking, you can pick it up. Um, great. Get a Kindle, get a paperback, do rush shipping and buy and hedge uh, and broken pie chart. You and I's uh, respective books, buy and hedge, of course, is, is your book you co-authored with Wayne. Um, I think, you know, it's available in Kindle now, right? And people can do rush shipping or 
Maybe they can give it as a New Year's present. Sure, I've been I've been asked to uh, autograph Kindles because they downloaded my book. Did you really? No. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I've they offered. Nobody's taking me up on it. Well, you don't want to like use a marker on the screen, but yeah, I, I wonder why. You, Sharpie. you want me to sign your Kindle? Everybody said no. So that that's a uh, that's a recommendation for Jeff Bezos. They should give people the ability to pull up a Kindle and then be able to use your finger and just sign the screen, and then it embeds on on the page. I think that'd be there. You go. Like we pay at the coffee shop now or wherever you're using, right? Everyone can sign with that. At the time, that really wasn't a thing when that book came out. So maybe now it's. Uh, Maybe Kindles can add that on the lead page, yep. sign by page. That's what a great idea. Yep. But of course, do buy and hedge book, book at Amazon. They do, right? What's that? I said, do they still sell books on Amazon? They do, right? I just bought a copy of my own and, and they know, sent it to me. Kidding. So I, I kidding. think so. You're getting you know? punchy. It's episode <laughs> 200. I'm throwing it out there. Congratulations All right. again well, on episode 200, Derek. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, of course, people can reach out to me at Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com, D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financial's up to you to spell correctly. Uh, to everyone listening, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, the whole bit. And uh, we'll come back a year from now. I mean, I'll be back next week, but we'll come back a year from now. And you can see how bad our predictions for 2023 have been. Because uh, certainly we didn't nail it in 2022. And I hope you and I are both wrong massively. And this market is up huge. Jay, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Derek. All right. See you, everyone.